DCIS. What the fuck? Doesn't contain information. Sister. <laughs> Doesn't contain information, sister. You're gonna have to ask your doctor. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. We try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> Amy, it's our podcast, Cancer for Breakfast. It really is. It's episode 14. It is. We're, I, we have to like have a party for episode 15. I think We're, so. Our quinceanera. Yes. <laughs> our can- quinceanera. Good one. One joke down, four seconds in. This is going to be a great episode. Nailing it. <sighs> um, I have to tell you, I've been just like really slutting up my cancer connections this last week. Excuse me? I thought we <laughs> talked about this, that I'm your only cancer friend. <laughs> You're going to be so jealous. No, I am holding my fingers up to count all of the, You are. I for, can see For it. those that listening at home, for all the hangs I've had with these really cool women I have met through this terrible life-threatening disease called cancer. Um, but I just went over to Jessica Boudreaux's house. Of Rats theme song fame. This is the best, which is like the only reason anybody listens to this podcast because mm-hmm. I want to hear that song. Obviously. But we had never hung out in person. I mean, I've like met her a couple times in Portland, but we just like sat on her patio and talked for like two and a half hours. Oh, yay. And then I just went to a friend's daughter's birthday party with my daughter and I hadn't seen her forever but she's a friend who I met in my support group and it was just so fun watching our kids like meet and play and I did the same thing with another friend for my support group we went to her son's birthday party and our two little kids played in a park together I love it so it's really neat to kind of be just like thrust into these like weird intimate new friendships with these people that you have this like crazy weird connection with suddenly i don't know yeah it was fun i love it i love it that's just the best thing about cancer um it's the only it's the only good thing about cancer right i mean i just love having those really deep connections with people that you know you can like text them in the middle of the night yeah having the same experiences you know you're having the same feelings and like It's crazy that so many of us haven't actually hung out in person because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Totally. I'm stoked for you. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it was fun. And I'm so happy that people are like getting vaccinated and things like that are possible right now. And if you're listening to what we just said and you're like, you bitches bragging about your friends that you've met through this and you haven't met friends through this, they're out there. Like there are people going through this that like, want to text you at midnight or two in the morning about weird stuff absolutely and there are weird online groups if you're not that social so absolutely in fact we have a letter that talks about just that so i've got some resources lined up for later (gasps) awesome i mean i could read it right now oh i wish you would this is our podcast we can do whatever we want i guess you're right you're right we can 
I'm standing in my power. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is from a gal named Beth. Should we give them a little bit of a backstory on how we know Beth? Yes. Would you give us a a quick rundown? I'll help a little bit. Yeah. So Beth wrote into us because she was bummed on something that we said on the Amisode. Sorry, Amy. It's always your episode creating drama. I've got a little marks on this wall <laughs> for the people I pissed off. And no, it, it, we had two complaints. It's kind of interesting though, because one of the complaints was a metastatic gal uh-huh. who was kind of like, dude, you just were like throwing a party that you didn't have Mets when you found out that you were stage two. And uh-huh. like, some of us have Mets, you know, like, and then this woman wrote in saying, hey, you kind of like mentioned having an additional DCIS tumor and saying like, oh, whatever, it's just DCIS, big deal, stage zero cancer, being like, hello, like I have stage zero cancer and it is a big deal. Right. So that was like her complaint, which is totally valid. And we immediately wrote her back being like, it is a big deal. Like, yes, we were like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. That is not what we were trying to portray. So we had this big love fest. Now we're best friends forever. And now we have three co-hosts for the podcast. (laughs) Come on in. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Surprise. But she wrote us back this letter and um, it was so great. And I am so appreciative when people write in and do tell us like, hey, maybe you should think again about the way you phrase this Mm -hmm. or whatever, because it led to a really interesting totally learning experience for us. Yeah. And also, I did just want to say in case any other DCIS havers also kind of heard that comment I made being like, excuse me, bitch. I think that I was sort of like relieved that it wasn't more stage two. Yeah. Yeah. And also just being exasperated with like, all right, what else do you have to throw at me? Just like, okay, so then it it turns out it's just DCIS. Okay, fine. So it's DCIS, you know, like it was meant more in that way and not in like a, oh, whatever. It's, you know. It's just DCIS. Great. It's basically a bouquet of flowers. (laughs) Yeah. Take it away, Beth. I'm going to read Beth's letter. So she says, hey, Cancer Queens. She tells us that she's the person who hit us up about the DCIS being real cancer. Um, She says, having sort of baby pre non-invasive cancer has been a trauma bomb for me, despite its sort of baby pre non-invasive disclaimer. It still put me out of commission for most of 2020. And even though I'm physically getting to be okay, I'm not psychologically okay. I am working with a therapist, although she doesn't have a cancer medical specialty, but she does work with trauma a lot. And in general, I think it's a good fit. I did come into this with lots of medical baggage, including infertility treatments, likely fueled my ERP or positive cancer, pregnancy loss, traumatic deliveries, and my own childhood abuse, which included some significant medical neglect. And I got a weird version of DCIS. Huge, very aggressive, and fast-growing, despite being just DCIS. My whole left breast was DCIS slash LCIS. Um... Do you want to say what those stand for and are really quickly in case the listeners like what the fuck even is DCIS or LCIS? Yeah. So it's ductal carcinoma in situ or lobular carcinoma in situ. So, so that means that the tumor is just relegated to the duct or the lobule. So it has not spread outside of it. And that's when it goes invasive, when it's like mm-hmm. trickling its way around your boob. So it's like still contained, hasn't spread, has no potential to 
become metastatic because it's all contained in there. Right. But... But it can spread, right? It's totally more confusing than that. Yeah. Okay. It is. We'll talk more about that, but just so you kind of like know what it is during the letter. Okay. So my whole left breast was DCIS slash LCIS, including through my nipple. And when it was diagnosed, I was told I had to have a double mastectomy within two weeks. The first surgeon I saw told me he'd bump his Friday appointment to get me in. It was a Wednesday afternoon. All the doctors I saw said they'd only seen a few cases like mine. And that first surgeon wanted to do a radical, complete mastectomy and recommended against any reconstruction, telling me he'd always seen reoccurrences within the first five years in cases like mine. I'm really rambling, and I guess I'm just trying to explain a little of why it's been a tough time. And this doesn't even touch on the other parts of my life affected by this DCIS diagnosis slash treatment process. I guess I'm just curious if you have any suggestions about how to find support slash cancer people if you have no personal connections. My partner and close friends have been amazing, but I don't know anyone near my age who has gone through anything similar. And all the support groups in my area tend to be very into the pink camo warrior sister aesthetic and mentality, (laughs) which just isn't for me. I thought this might be a good question to address on the show. LOL. Not expecting any personal response. Your show has helped me tremendously. I feel a little less of an unreasonable mess and honestly, a lot less scared if it does come back. Although I'm dragging my feet on scheduling my testing for this rib pain and insomnia is back full force. So I'm not not scared, but truly it helps to laugh and to hear from others who are scared and who seem to be doing a better job than me at just living through any fear that they do have. It means a lot. Humbly a fan. I just wanted to say when I was blabbing about hanging out with cancer buddies and that at the beginning of the episode, I completely forgot that she asked this question about how to meet people. Like I was just thinking this letter was just about the DCIS thing. I wasn't trying to like brag. No, I know. I was like, that actually makes me seem kind of bitchy. Like, oh, I just have so many friends dripping from my fingers. No way. I think that's great because people need to see that it's possible. It's it's hard when you don't have anybody in your life who's been through cancer. Like, that's how we met. We didn't know each other before. And I didn't have any cancer friends. I had one friend who died and that was it. (laughs) So it is hard, especially during the pandemic when support groups are not meeting Mm -hmm. and everything is online. Mm -hmm. It just sucks. It's a whole different vibe. Yeah. And the point about like the cancer warrior pink camo pink chemo <laughs> both yeah um that that is a big turnoff for some people that they don't want to like all get matching coffee mugs that say brave on them and yeah it's not for me the like prayer hands emoji pink ribbon emoji mm-hmm. that is not my vibe either but you know what i agree But I will say to participate in that kind of bullshit when it is what is available readily, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to like hope that some other person who kind of like isn't that into it, but is just like, all right, fuck it. I'll just show up to this like weird thing. will like be the reward for you you know like yes you'll just like meet your person you know and it happens that's how I found all of my best Facebook groups is I was in those huge annoying groups and somebody like grabbed my little virtual hand and pulled me into the private room (laughs) where all the cool people were Mm -hmm. and um that 
happens, you know, like you just kind of have to wade through Mm -hmm. the crowd until you find your people. Yeah. But there are some other resources that I compiled for Beth and for anybody else who's struggling to find that community that really resonates with them. There are some cool organizations. One is called Elephants and Tea, and um, they're at elephantsandtea.com. And these are both for young adult cancers, which includes ages 18 to 39. Of, at diagnosis. At diagnosis. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Elephants and Tea has writing workshops and they have a magazine. They have a really cool community and they do events. They do virtual events now. But I have been really impressed with the stuff that I've read from them and the people that I've met through that organization. And then there's also one called Lacuna Loft. It's L-A-C-U-N-A, loft.org. And they do these really cool virtual events. Um, Some of them are like arts and crafts based. Some are journaling. Some are just meetups. And you get together over Google Meet or whatever, and you do your little craft project together and chat. And it's been really nice. I've participated in a couple of them and Mm -hmm. they pre-send you all of the supplies for the craft in the mail. And it's really nice to just have something to do with your hands while you're there talking to new people. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's cool. And it's free also, which is great. And then if anybody is on Clubhouse, I don't know... We are. You and I are, Amy. But Mm -hmm. um, there is this really rad person named Kate Burns who is on Instagram at Kate underscore Burns underscore Chad. And um, she has this uh, weekly clubhouse meet called Talking Back at Cancer. It's on Fridays at 6 p.m. on Clubhouse. So Mm -hmm. I think you can just get an invite if you follow her on Instagram. And there are some really cool people that show up to that weekly. Yeah. I've wanted to go to that and I keep missing it, but I will definitely check it out sometime. It seems so cool. Clubhouse really stresses me out. And for people who don't know, it's just like a chat, like with your voice based thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm super neurotic that like my mic is going to be on while I'm I know. In, <laughs> while I'm in a room with somebody who's saying something important. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's happened yet. My friend turned her Zoom on. Well, she was going to the restroom <gasps> like she like had she didn't know she was like scrolling and then it was like on and in the whatever meeting it was <laughs> oh that she like went into. I don't know. Something that is amazing. So the things this pandemic has done to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think those are wonderful suggestions. And once things get back to in person Again, I just highly suggest finding out whatever's local in your place. And the other thing is like, I find that even the pink ribbon, whatever, that stuff all gets dropped once everyone starts talking. Mm -hmm. It's not like everyone really is just like passing around feather boas that are pink (laughs) and like talking about them for the first half an hour. You know, yeah, that's maybe on the flyer but then once you actually get there it's just people and then once people start talking you realize you have all this stuff in common with them Mm -hmm. the other really good thing about joining something especially 
when you're newly diagnosed or currently going through treatment is like that's when you meet the other people that are in treatment. Like it's way more common to be connected with somebody who's already gone through treatment. Like the way Steph and I were connected via a friend was like Steph was just getting diagnosed. I had just finished my treatment. So yeah, we were connected, which is great. But there's something so powerful in meeting somebody who's also going through treatment while you're going through treatment and yes. sometimes that's through a hospital group where you meet people who are also at your hospital I had like a group text with two other wonderful um, women who were doing my same exact chemo like our time frames were like just a couple weeks apart for everything and yeah. we texted constantly about all of it you know and it's great yeah I hope that you find your people. Besides us. I mean, we're your people now. But Well, yeah, you've found your people. <laughs> what, you need more than this podcast? What's going on? Yeah. I mean, one cool thing, too, about the pandemic is I feel like everybody is... <laughs> one cool thing about the pandemic. Hey, listen, I'm just trying to put a positive spin on things like the pandemic and cancer. And cancer. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Go on. But everybody is like a lot more comfortable with apps like Marco Polo and stuff like. Yeah. Oh, totally. So just sending a quick little video to a friend is like not a huge deal. Maybe it wasn't for a lot of people before, but Mm -hmm. it took some getting used to for me. But now I feel like super comfortable with it. And so I do have one support group that operates totally on Marco Polo. And um, it's really awesome because you can just like show up when you have time yeah i don't know i there's just so much out there maybe we'll organize some sort of cancer breakfast support group that has like yes we should a meeting virtually like twice a year or like to meet people and mingle and connect and could we have like a camp out i mean yes (laughs) (laughs) camp cancer for breakfast campers for breakfast (laughs) love it um no we can't do that i have too many friends and i'm too busy so (laughs) i'm sorry um (sighs) thank you for that letter beth and it did bring up i don't know do we want to talk more about dcis so we did get to thinking a lot about dcis because it's confusing it's so confusing and that's part Of why I think, Amy, in your episode, you said, like, I don't even think you said it was just DCIS, but, you know, that's the general feeling about DCIS. And I didn't even realize that there were grades of DCIS like there are for other tumors. Mm -hmm. And so there are people who have these, like, super aggressive, fast-growing, high-recurrence rate DCIS cases. And that fucking blows because the prevailing feeling about DCIS is just, like... It's no big. But also, like, it turns into invasive. Yeah. Invasive usually begins as DCIS. Like, but how long it stays there or if it turns to invasive is the big question, right? And I think if it's, like, a higher grade, I think that means it has more irregular cells and maybe it, like, has a higher chance of turning into it. But I am somebody who... Has yeah. had DCIS and like even I am really confused about it, you know, mm-hmm. and LCIS too. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I guess that it's just that faster rate of cell growth and stuff. And like that shit is confusing because well, I really wish we could get somebody who knows all about DCIS and LCIS mm-hmm. to write us a letter with like yeah. the 
layman's version of absolutely yeah because like it would be one thing if it was like it stays within lobe or 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 duct duct yeah it doesn't ever go outside of that but you know you just want to get it out of there for whatever reason yeah but like that's not the case but then they say like oh it's stage zero and it doesn't spread but then you're like but you just said it can spread it yeah. can turn into something that spreads yeah so that does seem like a big deal but then they're saying like oh but it's contained within itself and it's not invasive it has you know yeah and sometimes they don't take it out of people right they do like a watch and wait uh-huh because they're like let's just watch it because it could just stay forever so why do it and then how do they decide who's comes out and who doesn't yeah I just don't understand it. I really don't. I don't either. And like my oncologist actually said to me when I was freaking out, like I didn't freak out about it on the episode, but of course I was freaking out. Yeah. About having like a five and a half centimeter tumor next to my tumor. Yeah, bonus tumor. Right. Bonus tumor. But she was like, everybody has DCAS. Like, Everybody who has invasive ductal carcinoma started out as DCIS. When their tumors get removed, there's almost always a bit of DCIS along with that tumor getting removed. Yeah. It's just like not everybody like talks yeah. all you know, it's just like it's just a given, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also like, is that or did I misunderstand her? Like I don't I don't know, you guys. Won't somebody please help us understand? Beth, is it you? <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, I do actually have a friend. Oh, my God. Beth. Shit. Why didn't I think about this? Beth's talking about how do I meet people. I have a friend who also was connected to me when she was being diagnosed. No, a little bit afterwards. But she's a DCIS person only and did the surgery, did the radiation, is on tamoxifen. Mm -hmm. She's super, super rad. I am going to connect you two. You guys are going to be friends. Perfect. Perfect. Done. Deal. Wait for that email intro. It's coming. Anyway, thank you so much, Beth, for this letter. I mean, we just want to acknowledge that you have absolutely had a shitty year. And like, Mm -hmm. it's wild to learn that DCIS can result in a double mastectomy. Like, Mm -hmm. I just wish the best for you. Keep us posted. And thank you so much for the letter. Yeah. I have another letter. Shall I pull it on out? Yes. Of my pocket? Yeah, please do. Okay. This letter says, hi, guys. Wow. Thank you so much for this podcast that isn't cancer misery porn and just a smart, (laughs) funny, honest, banter-filled podcast. So refreshing. And I feel like I'm in my sweet cancer mom support group. I just finished the episode. What? Uh oh, should I brace myself? Oh my God, Amy, is it another complaint? <laughs> <laughs> Let me grab my little pen to strike the wall. <laughs> and so much of it resonated with my own cancer diagnosis of stage 2B found while breastfeeding at age 35. Ugh, the worst. Oh, wow. Uh, mine was. Diagnosed when my son was about six months old after I had weaned my son as breastfeeding was not going well. This was my second child and I breastfed 
my first without any issue for almost a full year and with plenty stockpiled in the freezer. Second time around was a whole different story. My son had tongue tie. I had mastitis two times. Seriously, the worst. And I, too, went in front of my OB two times. And she said it was just mastitis. Oh, my God. Oh, and I had a wonderful lactation consultant who... I'm reading it like wonderful sarcastically, but I don't know. Maybe she really was wonderful, but I've just got this woman's back. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we're we're swinging the chain behind you. (laughs) (laughs) A lactation consultant who came to my house weekly for about three months. And guess what? They all missed it. Breastfeeding boobs are lumpy is what they all said. Oh, Anyway, I made it to six months and was just done with breastfeeding as my son was frustrated and I was also frustrated. So we were both done. I had to very slowly wean because of my history with mastitis and my lactation consultant even coaches me through that. Finally, on a girl's weekend, my first trip away from the babe, my best friend who is an NP felt my boob and told me right in the eyes, girl, go get this checked. Ugh. So I made that appointment and shit got serious. Very similar to Amy's story. So much waiting, so much worrying, so mm-hmm. much spiraling. I was stage 2B, HER2 positive, ERPR negative, had chemo, a double mastectomy, radiation because I didn't have a complete response to chemo, and then reconstruction, deep flap with two phases and then one more year of this terrible miracle diarrhea drug called Neralix. Neralix. Good news is, drum roll, mm-hmm. I'm four years out what? from my date of diagnosis. It's been a fucking, she says effing, but I'm still swinging. <laughs> it's been a fucking journey. And therapy was critical for me. It was exhausting finding therapy, but worth the effort. Also, after treatment, I joined a cancer moms group, which I totally kicked myself for not joining earlier. And yes, Amy, so many older moms. There are tons of us. Anyway, I wanted to share this because I wanted to root you guys on and to share my experience. Oh, and I'm a lawyer and almost sued my gyno, but I'm also an exhausted working mom of two boys. And after consulting with a med malpractice referred to me, I concluded I just wanted to move the fuck on. I feel... That was the right decision, even though every damn time I tell my diagnosis story, my lawyer friend friends are horrified by how my many doctors and health professionals looked at my boobs and shrugged off the lump. Mm. Also, footnote, her too is a fast growing tumor. So, yeah, an early catch would have been better. But alas, I'm four years out and love having my damn life back. Keep it up. Thank you. See Oh, yes, man. That is so amazing that we do have so much in common. Yeah, right. And it also is just so heartbreaking that this just happens to people. The misdiagnosis, like what I was told by um, maybe it was my naturopath the first time I saw him and kind of told the like, well, then she missed it for like I lost like 13 months, you know, He was like, that honestly, it happens all the time. I hear it all the time. And like what it really comes down to is like everybody is human. And I know that's like not a good excuse and that doesn't make it feel any better. But it's like 
their human error is the cause of this all yeah. the time. And it's awful, but it just happens. Yeah. I mean, doesn't I, make me feel better, but as somebody who does offer lactation support or I don't anymore, but I have in the past, <clears throat> it's true. We just don't get the training on mm -hmm. what breast cancer feels like. And it's definitely like a cultural understanding that breast cancer happens to older women. And so right. we know, quote unquote, know that lumpy breasts are a thing when you're breastfeeding, when you're pregnant. Yeah. And so I just crave more education for people who deal with boobs. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't seem like too much to ask and mm -hmm. I am so sorry see that you saw all of these professionals who were feeling your actual boobs and did not encourage you to seek another opinion or get further testing because it's true like timing counts and we always say like catch it early but yeah you can't be the only one, you know, like the boobs owner can't be the only one who's catching it. It has to be a team effort. And fuck, yeah. what a letdown. Oh, if only we could have like a class action lawsuit. <laughs> we could all just like kind of <laughs> jump Let's in there. Aaron Brockovich this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sue them all. <laughs> um gosh yeah but thank you so much for writing and you know i love a good i'm four years out and doing great yes I love it. so it's so good to hear and thank you so much for listening to our little pod and so and also, good that you found a support group that oh, is meaningful right? right it's like so in line with this episode totally and it is like she wishes she had found it earlier like i feel the exact same way about mine too i just i'm so glad that you have that Love it. And now I'm just trying to decide, like, do I erase one of the marks from the Amy Soto <laughs> or do I just start a new uh, a new thing on my wall for positive? Yeah, uh, I think you, you do a competing tally. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, gosh. I got to thinking about the other cancers that people act like are no big deal. Mm-hmm. So I decided to look up the most curable cancers, the ones with the like 98, 99% mm -hmm. cure rates. Number one, you had skin cancer, Amy, right? So I did. you can talk about what that's like. But um, I was really surprised, actually, because obviously skin cancer, squamous and basal cell carcinomas, we know, we know that those are mm -hmm. highly curable as long as they're caught early. And then... DCIS and LCIS are also highly curable when they're caught early. Melanoma, as long as it doesn't spread, very curable. But then I was super surprised that testicular and prostate cancers and thyroid cancers, too, mm -hmm. all have a 98 or 99% cure rate. And so we don't treat those ones like no big deal. Right. That's interesting. And that just, you know, got me thinking my little conspiracy theorist brain started turning and hating the patriarchy even more. <laughs> but like, I just I feel like there's definitely this perception that certain cancers mm -hmm. are serious and certain cancers are like a joke. Right. And skin cancer is one of them. That's a joke. Yeah. 
which is not. <laughs> it's it's also really scary. I wonder if one of the things that makes it kind of be seen in a different light is the fact that there's no chemo for it, too, where like testicular cancer, there is chemo for it. Yeah. Thyroid cancer. I mean, there's like surgery, like you literally get your thyroid removed for thyroid cancer. And like, yeah. and also like the fact of like what happens if it's not caught for those cancers, I assume, is different than basal cell carcinoma. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Melanoma, though, can spread and have really dire outcomes. Yeah. I feel like people treat melanoma like it's pretty serious, though. Well, I hope they do. I feel like it's definitely like a like heavy word. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's much different than basal cell carcinoma, which is what I had like 15 years ago. My body just, my cells just loved to fucking <laughs> not do their job. Your anarchist little cells. I will say, though, like when I did go through that, like 25, which is like basal cell carcinoma is like a very common skin cancer. It is like... I don't know the percentage of people that will get it in their lifetime, but for me being 25, I was like very, very young mm -hmm. to get it. Yeah. But I also grew up in a very sunny place playing softball every summer and like, yeah, you know, I'm a blonde whatever person or was very blonde and kind of freckly as a kid. And I totally was terrified when that happened to me, but then I just like never even think about it anymore and haven't really in years because... I mean, it's just gone. It never came back. I, I go to the dermatologist still, you know, every few years and get the whole full body yeah. thing and I wear sunblock. I'm very careful about it, but it absolutely does not worry me in any way. But then when I got my breast cancer diagnosis, mm -hmm. you know, I've talked about how like afraid of information I was, cause, you know, like I wasn't yeah. reading and, you know, I was just very scared. So like, of course, in my own head, I was like, oh, this skin cancer and I have breast cancer. Like I clearly am like. I am a person who gets cancer. You're a cancer magnet. I'm a person who like, I will definitely like breast cancer is coming back to me. My cells are Aww. going to just keep doing this thing because yeah, I don't know. That's, but I was so valid, scared. Yeah. That's a valid fear. I would feel that way too. Right. I was scared yeah. to ask my oncologist about it. And what's funny not to like sidetrack too much or whatever, but like we kind of talk about like what not to say to people. Yeah. <laughs> like one of my friends that I called, you know, I called and I told her I had been diagnosed with breast cancer and I wanted her to find out mm -hmm. about it from me. And, you know, and she's like, well, you know, at least you already had skin cancer. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> oh, no, you know, so like you kind of like know what to expect because like you've kind of like been through this before uh -huh. so you you know no and I was like <laughs> excuse me I was like um how would it make me feel better in fact it makes me feel fucking worse and it's been one of the things that's really worrying me that I'm just like this fucking cancer person yes and she's like what I thought and I literally did say that to her I was like excuse me bitch but that's the person that's not my friend anymore so i can say that oh that's um, horrible but can you believe that no, i was like I uh yeah i'm just like i'm a pro cancer person you're right i do know i know how to post about it on facebook <laughs> i'm really comfortable in this arena no dude that also just shows total lack of understanding of like what cancer even is <laughs> like breast cancer yeah. and skin cancer are not the same no, not comparable. And, nor are they related in this particular case. Yeah. Like I asked my oncologist being like, this is, and she was like, 
no, they have nothing to do with each other. And I was like, but am I just somebody who's just like, who gets it? And she's like, no, they're just like two things that happen that happen to people. And of course, like there is melanomas that are related to um, genetics and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But I don't have any of the genetics for that. So rando, rando bullshit. Just unlucky. But I do have a little bingo card of all the different types of cancers. So. <laughs> I mean, just... Just to see if there's another one. I'll have <laughs> Two a place more. To cross it on. Two more, and you get a free scan. <laughs> oh, God. Bingo. Free grave. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Amy, that was dark. Oh, dear. Um, mm. Hey, speaking of melanoma. <laughs> uh huh. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's a rat. of Tignataro? Um, theoretically, but I actually have not watched the big thing that everybody watched, but I think I saw her perform once, so yes. And she was great. Mm-hmm. She is great. She's like the patron saint of cool people with breast cancer, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is only tangentially about how Tignataro is cool. On the show, One Mississippi, and in real life, because the show is based on her life, she talks about getting a fecal transplant, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm talking about today. Love it. Fecal transplants. Sounds gross, right? But hey, whatever works. No, nothing sounds gross to me anymore. <laughs> We've been around the block. Nothing shocks us. <laughs> there is no shame. The weird ass shit they make you do to your body. Literally, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Okay, so first first off, this was published um, in February 2021. It was a small study that was put on by the NIH and Hillman Cancer Center at the University of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. The co-author of the study was Giorgio Trinchieri. Mm-hmm. He does good work. Mm-hmm. Love it. And um, this is about advanced melanoma that's resistant to immunotherapy drugs. Okay. So only about 40% of advanced melanoma has a long-term benefit from immunotherapy. So it's like a pretty good therapy, but less than 50% of people respond. So they're trying to figure out how they can bump that percentage up. And one of the things that they're looking at as far as how to help people be responsive to immunotherapy when it's failed in the past is taking fecal microbiota from patients who did respond to immunotherapy drugs. Mm. And so we're talking like Keytruda, Opdivo. Those are the two big immunotherapy drugs. Mm-hmm. What they do is they are introducing some fecal microorganisms. They're finding that this can change the gut microbiome enough so that the patients respond to drugs that enhance the immune response to the cancer cells. So the class of drugs are PD-1 and PDL one Those are uh, the inhibitors. They're newer medications. And so they're still just like kind of working on how to make them the most effective. Mm-hmm. Um. 
benefits lots of different kinds of cancers. So this one was specifically for melanoma, but immunotherapy is in use for all kinds of different cancers. So the immune checkpoint inhibitors release um, a break that keeps the immune system from attacking cancer cells. So what happens is whatever it is in our bodies that keeps our immune cells from attacking the cancer cells, this immune checkpoint inhibitor like takes that e-break off Hmm. and then our immune cells are free to just attack and um the fecal samples that they use were analyzed for safety to make sure they're not like going to be introducing any harmful bacteria Mm -hmm. they were delivered through colonoscopies so it's not like you have to swallow like a pill or something which (laughs) sounds really horrifying and then the patients were given keytruda and six out of 15 began responding. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's still yeah. not not 50 percent, but six out of 15 who were not previously. Yeah. But if you add that to the 50 percent that do respond and then you add that other group of people yeah. that might, that's really bumping up that 50 percent. Yeah. I mean, any I feel like six people who now get a beneficial long-term treatment like that's definitely not nothing right so the next like the next frontier after they've proven that this is possible they're going to try to identify which gut bacteria is doing this right now they just know that some of the fecal matter from these patients who did respond is useful but they don't know really why or which parts of it so they're going to try to isolate that and figure out which bacteria is helpful. And then they're hoping to possibly deliver the microorganisms directly instead of having to do these fecal transfers. Mm. And um, Tig Notaro did this because she had C. diff right after she was finishing with breast cancer treatment, I think. And what is C. diff? It's like a gut parasite. I don't think it's a parasite. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's like a really gnarly illness that affects your whole digestive system. Okay, so the fecal transplant like gets all the microbes back in check. Yeah, for that. Yeah, essentially, right? and so they've been using that for a long time, I guess, to treat C. diff and other um, GI diseases mm-hmm. and and illnesses. But it's neat that they're using it now to kind of like rework how your gut biome responds to things in other yeah. contexts, like cancer. I don't know. It's really cool. So the article that I read said that. They're only now kind of beginning to understand how the gut plays a role in cancer and all of that, which I know anybody who even is slightly hippie-ish or whatever, the gut is the hot topic of conversation of the past mm-hmm. like 10 years. I feel like probiotics were all yeah my doctors wanted to talk about 10 years ago, but it's true. But yeah, but even within cancer treatment and cancer research, that is something that I've heard more about like ferments being good and yeah. probiotics and all about gut microbiology, right? Yeah. Microbes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Microbiota. I don't know. So microbiota. <laughs> so it's neat. I mean, any anything that helps get people a little bit more time. Yeah. I hear about stuff like this and I wish I was somebody who enjoyed smoking pot because I feel like this is the exact like smoke a J and have a conversation like, how did they figure this shit out? This literal. Who are these doctors that are like, 
let's just put a little poop in that person. <laughs> let's take poop from them and put it in them and see what happens. <laughs> it is so weird, but you know, it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Good. Good for them for going with it. Yes. You don't know until you try, right? <laughs> exactly. And God bless those people who were in those early studies who were like, you know what? I'm game. Sure. Why not? Why not? <laughs> I'll try anything once. And then it works and you're like, dude, so cool. <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, my pleasure. Cool. Well, um, hey, follow us on Instagram, y'all. Yeah. And um, don't forget that rating and reviewing us is always an option for you. Totally. I think we just started a Twitter, too. Oh, my God. We did start a Twitter. That's right. Yeah. Just search for Cancer Breakfast on Twitter. You'll find us somewhere. We're at Cancer Breakfast. Is that what we chose? Something like that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let us have the full name. There's always limiting character counts. Limits. Um, yeah. Rate us, follow us, schmallow us, letter us, write us, message us. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, Cancer for Bitch Fest is coming up. So send us all of your little bitches. Any little bitch you possibly have. Mm -hmm. Did your good friend say at least you had skin cancer? (laughs) And so you're going to do well with (laughs) bitch about it. Yeah. Send them our way. Nothing I love more than a good bitch fest. Yeah. We'll talk shit for you. Mm -hmm. Always. Thanks for listening, guys. Hang in there. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.